Hello, Sac State students. Welcome to another episode of State Hornet Spotlight. I'm Robbie Pierce. I'm your podcast editor. And I'm Max Connor, the editor-in-chief. And today we sat down with Sac State President Robert S. Nelson to discuss a whole host of things, including when campus might reopen, what it will look like when it does, the current state of fees and tuition, when sports might come back, among other things. So without further ado, here's your university president. From the the first generation student center that opened recently, you were part of that virtual event, and I didn't know that you were actually a first generation college student yourself. So I'm curious just to hear a little bit about that and just a little bit of your own experience um, going back to when it was as a college student. Well, I didn't really intend to go to college. Um, It wasn't something that I'd been dreaming about or been on my life. Uh, in fact, uh, there's a story, and I'll tell you the story. Uh, it's about Mr. Sullivan. Um, I was in an English class, and I was one of the smarter kids in the school. And Mr. Sullivan was very unhappy that I wasn't going to go to college. And he asked me to critique a poem that one of the students had written, uh, and uh, her name was Peggy. And I said, I think it's crap. And he gave me a piece of chalk and told me to define crap. So I went up to there and I wrote SH. And I knew that if I wrote the next two letters, Mr. Sullivan was about 6'4". He was an ex-policeman. He was going to knock me from one side of the room to the other side of the room. So I erased it and, you know, and... um, put up detritus, which means garbage. And uh, he made me fill out uh, a scholarship form and an application to go to college. That was my punishment for having said the word crap. Uh, I got in uh, and got a hundred dollar scholarship. And, you know, this will not make your listeners happy. That paid for the whole year of tuition at that point. (laughs) Okay. And so um, I was able to, uh, I looked at it and I said, okay, I'm going to be out in the fields uh, lifting bales of hay all all summer or I can go to college. So I went to college and that's how I became the first generation. Yeah. I can't blame you for making the decision to go to college over uh, another summer of hay bales. (laughs) Another question that we had related to just sort of your journey through education, what uh, eventually sparked the idea to get into administration for academia? Well, that also as entails another story, okay? Um, I have been the faculty uh, senator for, oh, I don't know how many years, but I'd actually was the chair of the faculty senate for uh, six years and then two years, additional years as the statewide senate chair. Uh, so I never thought of myself going into the administration. I thought of myself as faculty. I was uh, taught creative writing and uh, taught uh, contemporary literature, loved doing what I was doing. It came time for the university to get reaccredited, And at that point, there were, we did not know what student learning outcomes were. And we were going to object to it as faculty, you know. I give grades. I don't have to tell, you know, what my students know or anything. I'm the one who judges that, not the students. Uh, and that was the wrong attitude, but that was the attitude we had as faculty at that point. 
So the president asked me to uh, come into the administration because he knew he needed buy-in. He knew he needed people to actually, they had to put it in their syllabi. They had to put them in the, the course catalog. It was completely going to revolutionize what we were doing. So he asked if I'd come. I said, no. He asked again. I said, no. On the seventh time, he said, you're starting Monday. And I started Monday in the administration. Uh, the question is, why did I stay? I, I loved teaching because I loved changing students' lives, giving them the chance to have their voices be heard for the first time, you know, get the first story published. I love that experience, um, getting them to think in, in new ways by reading uh, contemporary literature that they'd never looked at before. It was exciting. Uh, but you only could change maybe 40 students a semester. When I went into the administration, I got to put in a, a mechanical engineering degree. I got to put in a doctorate in public policy. I got to uh, put in a, a doctorate in nanotechnology. I didn't know anything about nanotechnology, but we were able to open that up. So you were able to make differences for just literally thousands of students. Uh, I remember once uh, going to the chief business officer and saying, and let's start an honors college here. And he gave me $5 million to start that honors college. That changed so many lives and gave so many people other opportunities. Uh, so I decided I'd stick around. So the world has changed seemingly drastically in our country in particular has been going through a lot over the last six months um, with not only COVID, but certainly protests surrounding racial justice and police brutality. How do you feel your role has changed at all as Sac State's president, given just all the events of the last six months? Or how do you see your role any differently? I think the role has changed quite dramatically. Um, we have to confront racism. I, we were not confronting racism in the past. We were uh, doing anti-bias tr training and things like that. But we have to be much more active and we have to be much more active in the community. I think the death of Stefan Clark completely changed our university, but it's now magnified so much more with the killing of George Floyd, uh, with the death of Breonna Taylor. All of these things are just front and center and we have to be able to talk about them and be honest about them and see what we can do to make a change. And that's what the convocation is all about. Um, we want an anti-racist campus. What does that mean? We have to discover what that means as we go along. We've got a great opportunity with the convocation. We'll hear from two uh, out outstanding scholars that will help teach us. And so I think we're in you know, you talk a lot about a teachable moment. I think we're in the middle of one right now, okay? And we're being taught at the same time as we're trying to teach. Another question that we had roughly, when do you think we can expect to return to in-person classes or to hybrid classes? Uh, how different do you think things will look once we do return both for students and for instructors? I expect next fall we will be back. Um, I really do. It all depends upon when there's a vaccine. 
once there's a vaccine, we will be back teaching face-to-face. -face. We'll teach differently. There'll be more hybrid courses. There'll be more people who work from home and telework. There'll still be telemedicine and that for the health center, but there'll be more face-to-face -face opportunities. So my hope is that uh, by the middle of next semester, we actually will have a vaccine and that be enough people that will have taken the vaccine and be ready to be able to come back to school either in the summer or in the fall. Uh, we are going to announce this next week that we're opening up a clinic here on campus for free flu shots. I think we've got 8,000 uh, free doses for students and everything else. That clinic will be a dry run for when it comes time for a vaccine so that we'll actually have a vaccine here on campus. Uh, we'll also be doing that uh, with our athletes um, as, as we bring back sports and, and the like. So, so much depends upon the vaccine and what type of vaccine it's going to be, whether it's going to have to be a double dose or a single dose, or we just don't know a lot yet. Sort of a follow-up to that question. Um, we also had some students reach out to us that some people actually prefer to some extent virtual classes. Um, assume that campus has completely resumed physical functions by next fall. Do you still see there being an increased focus on having online courses as an option, having hybrid courses as an option, that type of thing? I think so. Um, a lot of people who are introverted like online classes. A lot of people who are extroverts like face-to-face -face classes. I think we need to accommodate both groups. Uh, the difficulty in California is that we never joined SARA. SARA is a federal program that uh, is about agreements between states about distance education. So if we have courses that are online, we have to have an agreement with Oregon or with Nevada, or it could be New Hampshire because you can take the class any place. And California is the only state that never uh, signed up for SARA. I hope we can get legislation passed so that we do. That will make it easier to have classes online. Uh, but to the second part of your question, I do think there will be more and more hybrid courses. A course where you half of the class comes in on one day, on Tuesday, and then the other half comes in on Thursday or where you actually have a question posed and you do the work on it in on your own on the Tuesday, and then you come in on a Thursday and have that answer and that solution done together so that you use both. That allows us to use more of the buildings. Uh, it allows us to have uh, additional students that so we're not cramped and it moves us away from always worrying about brick and mortar. Another in-person question is about commencement. At this point, we already have a few commencements ceremonies potentially stacked on top of each other. We're gonna be online through the spring. So what's the future of in-person commencement given class is gonna be online through the spring at least as well? We don't know whether we'll be able to have commencement in the spring. A lot of that will depend upon what the uh, county says because the county will make that decision. We won't and the county will make it in combination with uh, Golden One Center. Uh, 
but we're trying to look as many different ways as we can. If we've got to have a drive up, drive by commencement, we're going to have one, okay? Some way or another, we're going to make it happen. If we got to fill up every one of the parking lots on this campus, we'll make that happen. Uh, but we really want to have something for our students. And this has been a long time, you know, and they, you look forward to these traditions. You look forward to really having that, that finish, okay? And that sense of I'm being launched into something new and I've got a new opportunity. So we want to have that closure. We want people to feel good about Sac State. So another question that we'd like to ask is that, so we had some open threads on our social media channels for students to submit their questions. And we would be lying if we didn't mention that a lot of students were asking about tuition and fees and that sort of thing. Uh, what would you say to students that potentially feel as though the experience they're currently receiving is not what they originally paid or applied for? That's a difficult question, but it's a fair question. Okay. And it's a question that students have every right to ask, okay? The faculty did not sign up to teach online. That is not what they wanted to do. The staff did not want to go home and to work from home. And the students certainly did not think that they were going to be doing Zoom uh, all of the time. And, and so it's, you know, it's just at you all of the time. So no one expected this, um, but it is a reality. I can't discount the work uh, and the prices here. Those, those are set by the CSU system uh, and in Long Beach. But I can tell you that over 79% of all of the money that we have on our campus goes to employees. We have not laid off any employees on the state side at all. We've not laid off any faculty. We've not laid off anyone. So our salaries are still where they are. And so discounting the tuition is not a possibility because we've got to pay the people for the work that they're doing. Uh, we want it to be better and we're trying very hard. Our faculty, uh, we used $1 million in CARES fund this summer to uh, train the faculty on how to teach in Zoom, how to teach using Microsoft Teams, how to use better tools to get to to deliver even better lectures. And I think that we've heard a lot of good stories so far. With fees, um, that's a different issue. Any one of the fees that we have that um, is directly related to a class or directly related, for instance, to graduation, we've tried to refund those fees or do away with those fees. If a fee is uh, associated with debt service, in other words, it's like paying your mortgage, we can't do away with that fee. When the students built the student union, uh, they voted to pay for that by a dedicated a fee for it. Yeah. Uh, and same thing with the well. People misunderstand and think that I'm paying for the well like I'm paying for a fitness center. No, the money is actually going to pay the bond for the mm. overall bill to build that building. 
and we have we can't default on those those and that's why students are still paying it now we've started uh bringing the well outside uh we we're looking at ways to be able to do some more in the parking garage out there and i'm pretty confident we'll see sometime this semester people inside the well on reservations again because the you know we're doing better in the county we're getting closer to being able to open up and the well will be one of the first ones we want to open up it's a difficult situation you know all of us feel very uncomfortable right now um, because it is so strange and when you have the pandemic and then you've got the difficult situation in our city and in our nation when you have uh, a contentious election taking place there's so many pressures on everyone and a lot of our students are really feeling the pressures of jobs and feeling the pressures of being at home with the kids. A lot of pressure on our students and we have to come together as a Hornet family and really support each other. Given that, I guess, you know, I think there are probably a number of services and scholarships and things that the university can provide to, you know, students who are really struggling financially during the pandemic that that maybe they don't um, know about. So are there any are there any services that you'd love to sort of put out there to let students know, you know, hey, apply for this grant, apply for this money. We, we have money available to help you. Well, the first one is the emergency grant. OK, it's actually in my son's name. We help to endow it. Um, so it's the Robert Seth Nelson emergency grant. There are funds in there that students can apply for right now, whether it's to help with something that is as dangerous as or as necessary as buying medicine or whether it's to help with rent or whether it's to help um, with a car that breaks down or or whether it's to help with um, something you need uh, in some way or another. That grant form is out there. The scholarships, uh, as I pointed out in the um, fall address, We've almost doubled the number of scholarships that we were giving out in the past, and they are still available for individuals. For our dreamers, uh, the, I'm very proud of ASI. They helped set up a fund for those students and an emergency fund that will help them. So the, all of those funds are available. Go to um, the website, take a look at uh, what is available, talk to financial aid, talk to the Dean of Students, Bill McChris, and see uh, what is available and, and apply for it. Uh, another question that we had in our docket that was related to finances. So with the virtual school, with lockdowns, the financial hit to Sac State and the rest of the CSU is probably going to be rather substantial. How, if at all, might that affect the either the educational experiences for students or the work environment for instructors it is substantial our budget next year will be 18 million dollars less than it was last year that is difficult on us we have had to go into our reserves and uh, so that we have a balanced budget uh, and uh, use seven million dollars of the reserves We've also had to cut 10% for every department on campus. 
that means there will be services that won't be available that were available in in place in the past it means that there won't be some deferred maintenances that we were going to do uh, that's not going to happen what we did make sure was that we are offering just as many classes if not more classes than we did last year so we put the emphasis on offering the classes so that students could take the classes and still graduate on time. Uh, we're in the uh, middle of an early exit program where people can retire early um, because as I pointed out, most of our budget is salaries. So if someone leaves, that's the best way for us to be able to make the budget, okay? Because then you're saving in that way. So far, um, uh, a little over 50 people have uh, decided uh, to take early retirement. That can save us up to $6 million um, that will help us to make back that $18 million that I talked about that we do not have in the budget. On top of that, with the pandemic itself, there's another 20, 20 to $24 million that we're having to spend whether it's on the computers that we're handing out, whether it's on uh, the cleaning that's being done. So there's another hit on top of that. But as I said, we've got a balanced budget. Uh, we, uh, some people have been laid off in food services and housing in the auxiliaries, but no one has been laid off on the state side and we're moving forward and trying to protect those jobs so that the services that the students deserve, they can have. With the early exit program and the people that have been taking it, do you consider that program successful? There are 570 people who would be available and only 50 have taken it. It says that people love their jobs at Sac State and don't want to retire, okay? So successful or not, I don't know. That, that's uh, we'll just have to say not very many people wanted to take it we thought more people would take it uh so that we could save more money than we we're actually going to be able to save with it hmm. but they love their jobs so i know you sit on the president's board for the big sky conference and you're pretty plugged in on what's going on in athletics so what is going on and what's sort of the latest in athletics um as far as winter sports coming up, basketball, and then I'm curious with football in particular, given the Pac-12 just announced that they're going to start their own season um, in November, which means, you know, scheduling out-of-conference games may not be, at least with the Pac-12, may not be possible in the springtime. Um, so how's the championship shaping up for spring football, and how are the other sports looking as far as student-athletes getting to play? Well, let's do basketball first, because basketball was just released uh, the plan for resocialization this last week. So we have it fresh in front of us. It says that starting uh, now, the basketball players can start to do strength conditioning and everything else. In October, they will be able to practice as in a regular practice session if the county allows us to open up the gym. If not, they'll probably have to practice outside for until we are allowed to open up the nest, okay? They have to then uh, be tested once a week. Uh, they can be tested with an antigen test. 
An antigen test costs about $35 a test. Uh, once the games start, they have to be tested three times a week. So we will have to uh, have them tested. The difficult thing is if one athlete gets ill, then the entire team has to be quarantined for 14 days and the coaching staff as well. Uh, we have the dorms set up so they can be quarantined in one of the dorms uh, if that is necessary to come forward. The plan is to start basketball in October uh, and to actually have the game start uh, November 25th. Uh, so they'll be the first games. We don't know whether it, any fans will be allowed to come or anything, but it will proceed to a regular tournament at uh, Boise uh, and have the Big Sky Tournament and then have some team represent us in March Madness. Football is more up in the air right now. They are, uh, the coaches are meeting on a regular basis and so are the ADs meeting. Mark Orr, our athletic director, is the head of the football uh, consortium. Uh, they have to make a decision whether how many games they want to play and whether they will have um, non-conference or conference games. We will definitely not be moving to November because the, the way uh, or into the, into the fall at all, because we are in FCS football, not FBS football, okay? Not bowl championship football. We are in... Uh, you know, conference championship football. So they will have a regular playoff at the end of the year. Now it won't have as many teams as it has had in the past. It will have uh, 11 automatic qualifiers and five others uh, that were got in like we did last year. Okay. And like, um, Weber State and others because of our, their records, but there will only be five. So it'll be 16 teams that will play for the championship in May. Uh, and we know that that will come about. So that's why we're not going to switch and go into the fall at all. Uh, some leagues, I think I've said, uh, are doing six. Some leagues are doing eight games. Uh, some leagues are, are contemplating as many as 10 games. Uh, we have not made that decision yet. I expect that decision within the next two weeks. All right. And then we've got baseball that we haven't even talked about yet. <laughs> yeah. We've got soccer and we haven't talked about, and we got a women's soccer team that once set, you know, went 17 games undefeated last year, you know, so there's a lot of that athletes. We're looking at about 350 athletes that want to be playing this spring. Yeah. Will will we be seeing an NBA style Sac State bubble, Hornet bubble? Um, probably not. Although uh, the because we can uh, with basketball, uh, we can travel to Fullerton. We can travel uh, by bus to um, Long Beach. We can. There are enough teams that are hunting for games that we'll be able to play here locally, but Montana and uh, Montana state and, and the, the um, Idaho's 
will probably be going to Las Vegas and uh, having going there, playing six to eight games in a row and then packing up and going back home so that they can get enough games together to be able to do it. Mm -hmm. uh, but luckily, we will be able to bus and be able to play more locally. Mm -hmm. I think we're pretty much yeah at the end of the docket i did want to ask one sort of a lighter funner question um you mentioned at the start of this podcast talking working with literature uh working with english classes uh what is your favorite piece of literature what's your favorite piece of writing um there's one book well yeah i, I could go on and on, and on. <laughs> start talking about cormac mccarthy and start oh, anything uh, there's one book that I read every year, uh, and it is, I'm going to pull it out right now. It's called Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind. It's by Shunru Suzuki. And the basic premise of the, the book is that you have to have an open mind. Uh, an extra, expert's mind is always closed because the expert has all of the answers. And so there are no new thoughts, no innovation with experts. But a beginner's mind will find new ways and new solutions. And so it's about keeping your mind open, open to possibilities. Very cool. Cool. Yeah. It's a good book. And it's only 100 pages. So <laughs> well, let's check and see if that's right. 138. All right. Not too bad. That's good. That's, that's manageable. <laughs> Something you can read every year. Yeah. I think as a final, final note, this is only an audio show, but I think for the sake of giving everybody at Sac State a bit of a morale boost, could we get your best Sac State as number one stingers up? Yeah, how loud do you want it? <laughs> uh, nothing I have to tone down more than 10 decibels in audition. <laughs> Sac State is number one! Stingers up, baby! Yes. Thank you. Thank you so much. 